Hello, free thinkers. I'm Mickey Z, and I welcome you to Post Woke, the New York City-based podcast where we practice intellectual self-defense. I genuinely believe that very soon, and I don't know the exact timetable, but I do believe that this is going to come crashing down, that this medical scandal will come to an end. I believe we're going to win. You just heard Brandon Showalter. He is a journalist, podcaster, and the senior investigative reporter with The Christian Post. Brandon has reported extensively on a broad range of topics, ranging from theological interests within the church, bioethics issues like assisted suicide and surrogacy, and the topic of our interview, he writes a lot about the developments of the quote-unquote gender identity movement and transgender ideology. In his bio, Brandon also says his favorite thing to do in life is to sing. So we're going to get to all of that in my interview with Brandon. But first, we have this word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z here, and I'm asking you to offer some support for a project that I've been running for nearly six years. It's called Helping Homeless Women NYC. And as the name implies, I've been getting out there on the streets for, like I said, nearly six years to offer direct relief to some of the most vulnerable yet fiercest women you'll ever want to meet. If you check the show notes, you will find a direct link for how to donate at GoFundMe. If you're interested in becoming a Patreon patron or in ordering uh, restaurant gift cards directly from my wish list, shoot me an email and I'll send you that information. But I'm just requesting some support, thanking you in advance and asking you no matter what to please share the link far and wide. Now, let's get back to the show. And we're back. Now, several decades ago, the iconic radical feminist author Mary Daly said, women have had the power of naming stolen from them. Today, the woke crowd is trying to convince us that biological sex does not matter. In fact, many of, or maybe most of them are trying to convince us that biological sex doesn't even exist. Even the American Medical Association believes, quote, sex should be removed as a legal designation on the public part of birth certificates, close quote. Now, you may feel some justifiable outrage over men being housed in women's prisons and given access to female bathrooms and locker rooms and destroying the dreams of female athletes when males are allowed to compete in female events. To go along with this is to enable a global lie, the gaslighting of billions. My guest, Brandon Showalter, is a janitor-turned-journalist who takes all of these issues very seriously. But it was when he learned about the use of puberty blockers on children, he said, something snapped. Brandon, welcome to Post Woke. Thank you, Mickey. Good to be with you. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. I admire your work. Um, I'm going to just ask you to jump in, like that something snapped part. What, what inspired you to make this 
this series of issues, I don't want to sing singleize it, um, this, this general concept of trans ideology and the trans agenda as something that you wanted to investigate closely and be, you know, turn this into a mission of sorts? Well, part of it was just the utter shock and horror that I felt um, because when I started as a journalist back in 2016, what first sort of rang the alarm bells for me was seeing how language was manipulated. And I was reading an article and it was referring to a male person as she and her. And I was so confused because I couldn't quite tell what was going on even within the article because there was actually another female in the article. And so I was thinking, well, why are... Are, are they, did they just switch this up? I, I was just so confused keeping it all straight. But then I finally realized, oh, they've actually hijacked the language. And so I realized just how confusing and deceptive and malevolent this was. And I'd always, I'd always heard of, you know, a few people who underwent these, you know, surgeries and whatnot. And I'd never thought that was a particularly medical, a medically ethical thing to do. But when you learn that it's happening to children, it's just, I, I can't say it better than, as you just said, something inside me snapped. And I have often said that the closest thing I can liken it to was when I was a 14, I think, or 15 year old kid and I was bored one day. So I happened to pick up my parents' Reader's Digest and the cover story was about Waris Deary, the Somalian supermodel who has the global campaign to end female genital mutilation. Mm -hmm. And it's not as though there aren't other kinds of evils in the world that are horrible. You know, you, you read about all sorts of things, but there was something so uniquely sadistic about cutting up a young girl's genitals for <laughs> these crazy evil purposes. And I just remember feeling so viscerally horrified. And that's what I felt when I learned that they were giving kids pediatric Lupron to arrest a normal developmental process to halt their puberty. I, I just, I couldn't shake the feeling of horror. And so... I just figured, well, this is a lot deeper than it goes. This is a medical scandal. And I think, you know, a medical scandal is eminently newsworthy. And I realized that the media, the mass media legacy press was not going to scrutinize it because they were beholden to this ideology. And so uh, the truth is true no matter who says it. And so even as a professing Christian who won't be taken seriously by a lot of people because they just do not anything that's religious, I figure at least what I can do is report as objectively as I could and try to expose the harms that are being done. So that's kind of the long short of it. But as I've fallen down the rabbit hole, it's only gotten deeper and darker and more horrifying. Uh, thank you for that. And I, I could imagine, I mean, I, I've come at this from a completely different angle, but I share that sense of horror and the comparison yeah. to female genital mutilation is, is, um, frighteningly accurate in the sense that when you learn about these aspects, you, it's not like you said, it's not like you're elevating this above this evil. You're not ranking evils in the right. world, but there, there are some that seem to strike humans, at least open-minded, compassionate humans, in a way that you just feel like, I can no longer be silent. And I, I appreciate that you have done that, but you, you're not just ranting and raving. I mean, you are an investigative journalist. Um, I was mentioning to you before we went on, I was reading your article about how the how trans surgeries are being done on minors and you you quote that the number of quote unquote gender dysphoric females who have undergone medically unnecessary cosmetic surgeries to appear more masculine 
quadrupled from 2016 to 2017. And I don't even know, perhaps you can tell me if we have any updated um, numbers on that. This is something that is exponentially growing. And uh, from your investigation and your work, um, what have you found as the, the, the driving engine of why this is exploding so rapidly right now? Well, I think there are many contributing factors, and it is especially horrifying to see it uh, the disproportionate impact on uh, girls, on teenage girls and young adult women. Obviously, this is happening to boys as well. Uh, it's all horrifying, regardless of you know the sex. But uh, we're seeing, as you mentioned, a quadruple rate of those those gender surgeries from 2016 to 2017. That's an enormous jump. That figure is. Uh, from the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, and it has increased ever since. Um, that's There was a very large jump then, the quadrupling, and I, I attribute that to a number of things going on in culture. If you remember, I think Laverne Cox, the transgender identified actor, actress, uh, actor, he's a male, but he presents as a woman, on Orange is the yes. Black, was on Time Magazine, and I think 20, 2014, called the, transgen the transgender tipping point. I remember being in California and walking <laughs> in a Safeway grocery store, seeing that article and thinking, my goodness, this is the next big thing that they're doing. It was not long after that where Bruce Jenner appeared on the cover of Vanity Fair with that white smock or whatever, it call me Caitlin or whatever. And then you see uh, the Obama administration from the Justice Department endorsing this erasure of sex and the law in their policy to include gender identity, quote unquote. And so you see all of these forces within culture pushing this ideology from the top down. Uh, and so you see this is all, this has been, you know, brewing for a while within the medical system. The first pediatric gender clinic was opened in 20, in 2007 in Boston, but there was this larger push and they were slowly turning up the heat, the powers that be that were, were forcing this on the public because this is definitely not a grassroots movement. And so you see this large spike. You see this large spike in young women and girls identifying as the opposite sex. Uh, the Watershed book that came out a few years ago was Abigail Schreier's Irreversible Damage, The Transgender Craze Seducing Our Daughters. The jumping off point of that book was a public health uh, researcher, uh, Lisa Littman's study from, I believe, 2018, where she found that the enormous spike in transgender identification in mostly girls came after I think over 60% of them had spent an inordinate amount of time online, social media sites like Tumblr and YouTube, Instagram, where this is being marketed to our youth. And so you've got a largely internet-fueled peer contagion. It's celebrated in all of culture, in glossy magazines, and in movies, and in the government, and it's perfect storm. So many, many contributing factors, but the young people that are being lured down this pathway are already struggling with, most of them are already struggling with mental health comorbidities, psychiatric issues, often on the autism spectrum, sometimes same-sex attracted, a whole myriad of, of experiences and issues. Um, but <laughs> the abuse to their bodies is just, just insane. And I think what triggers a lot of people, myself included, is when they realize that the combination of blockers and then cross-sex hormones is almost certainly to likely to render that child, that young person sterile. 
Uh, and sterilizing a person doesn't become medically ethical just because you're waving a rainbow flag in the background, as I like to say. At the very least, when you have cancer and you have to take some rough drugs, some chemotherapy or radiation, your, your, lo your loss of your fertility might be an unfortunate side effect. But when you've got a psychological problem like gender confusion, you don't dare pump them full of hormones and render them sterile. I mean, that's unconscionable. I, I couldn't, well said, I couldn't agree more. It's, it's, I, the word that came to my mind was unforgivable in the sense that, that this agenda is direct, is not, it's to say it's targeting is one thing, but they're, they're creating fertile ground, as you mentioned, through, from the top down and through the power of the internet, but specifically social media. And they, they present this argument that if these individuals, some of them children, um, are able to have these synthetic sex uh, identities imposed upon them through surgeries and drugs, then they will be happy because they're, quote unquote, in the right body. Right. But, but you have also done work speaking to a group of people that have been very silenced in our culture, the detransitioners, the, the, the folks who who were unfortunately, and I'm not criticizing them in the least, it's we're all susceptible to conditioning and program, particularly at a young age. So they they, they were seduced into this uh, this agenda and they took these drastic steps, some of them irreversible, and then a month later or five years later, they want to transition back and they have nothing but regret. And you've had the opportunity to speak to some of these individuals. So could you share some of that with us? Right. I have. And uh, others have done more speaking to detransitioners than I have, but I have spoken with a few. Um, and it's been quite something to see just in this past year, in 2022, there have been finally more stories in uh, outlets, mainstream outlets uh, about detransitioners after either being ignored or just there's now so many of them that they're willing to talk to the media. Uh, a lot of detransitioners in light of how they were lied to in the medical sphere have a lot of trust issues and understandably so. But the harm to their bodies is so terrible and irreparable and you know, irreversible that we're seeing more and more news coverage. There, someone on Twitter made a very helpful spreadsheet of all of the stories that they've seen in the press about these detransitioner folks, these precious people who were, were sold a lie. They were told that if they mm -hmm. went on these experimental drugs, these hormones, and underwent these surgeries, that all of their mental health issues would go away and this would resolve their problems. And turns out it didn't. I spoke with... Uh, uh, a, a man recently, Richie Heron in the UK, who's suing the NHS, he had a Twitter thread that went viral some months ago. I think it was just earlier this year, actually, um, where he detailed the gruesome after effects of what it was like after having his genitals amputated. He had, I believe it was the vaginoplasty surgery done and just how it takes him, I think, 10 minutes to urinate, how he can't control I mean, I, I don't know how gruesome and grisly you want to be on your podcast, Mickey, but it is the, the effects were just absolutely horrible. And he just spelled them out in granular detail. And he's hoping to progress forward with some kind of legal action against the NHS for not informing him of all of the risks and not taking his mental health issues into account. In 2020, I wrote a 6,000 word feature story also on a man in his 30s who underwent an orchiectomy, which is the removal of his testicles. And he was told on the first visit to a transgender clinic that if you think you're trans, you are trans. It was quickly put on hormones, always marketed these surgeries as the great fix. 
He told me that it was like a multi-level marketing upsell. It was just sort of put on the conveyor belt and he was lied wow. to repeatedly. I just signed the informed consent document. So the gender clinic was totally off the hook for any of the repercussions. He did somehow take some sort of legal action. He didn't elaborate on that, but he did prove to me that he did. He was able to file some kind of a lawsuit, but he wanted to be a part of something larger. But he finally did agree to the orchiectomy after they kept pitching it to him as the solution to his problems. And they castrated him, but they never used biologically accurate words for his body during his appointments, according to him. And so he's thinking that he's just going to get a very small piece of his genitals taken out, which he then thought would take him off hormones, which were really wearing on his endocrine system. Well, they didn't do that. And he wakes up and he takes the bandages off and sees that he's been castrated. And now because he doesn't have his natural hormones being produced, his endocrine system is severely compromised. He winds up with severe suicidal ideation, attempts suicide, but doesn't obviously go through with it. And then he told me that he tried to have sex approximately a year after his surgery. And that poor man wound up ejaculating blood. <sighs> so it's just horrific what these poor people go through. They are sold a lie. It doesn't help their problems. And at base, I think it's because you don't cut the body to heal the mind. You don't do a yeah. surgery on a person and you don't pump their endocrine system full of foreign synthetic hormones that don't belong there to alleviate psychological distress. If you're going to an endocrinologist because you have a thyroid issue, for example, the goal there is to balance your hormones, which are based on your biological sex. This gender confusion stuff, it takes your hormones purposefully out of balance. And I'm not a psychiatrist, Mickey, but I don't know of any psychiatric condition where you deliberately take your hormone levels out of balance to alleviate your distress. That just makes no sense. I concur. I, as you're talking, well, let me go back to what you said about the gruesome part. I, I, I welcome it because I feel we need this balance yeah. because, because the public image, the media image, right. the political image is so happy and waving flags that, that I was born in the wrong body and look at me now, I'm so happy. And this is not to say that there that there aren't stories from the other side, but detransitioners, sometimes that word will get you, just using it will get you banned on social right. media because right. these, these are the folks that can put the, the, put the lie to all this, <clears throat> specifically when you said, not using biologically accurate words. It's 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 criminal what's happening. And right. as you were talking, it made me think we look down our nose at the early days of psychiatric and psychology psychological treatment of of quote unquote mental patients and the brutal, gruesome things that were done to them in the first half of the 20th century. And we think, oh, thank goodness we're not like that anymore. And what you just described is at least on that level, if not worse. And it's certainly when it's to when it's imposed upon children or upon adults by using inaccurate terms, I would argue it's worse. Because right. as you said, someone comes to you with a clear mental um, issue, you actually have to deal with them completely different than someone that comes to you and says, I twisted my ankle. Like right. the, you're, it, it, so it's so willful on their part. And this, this willingness of the medical industry and big pharma to do literally whatever it takes to continue making their billions is, is I'll come back to it. It's unforgivable. Yeah. And, and I just want to segue into a, a side note here, because when you were talking about how, how many young people, particularly lately girls, it makes me think of, of um, the role that the rise of internet pornography plays. Yeah. Like it's, I, I will, as a caveat, like when I was much younger, 
I worked in gyms and I wanted to become a writer. So I, I took the first editing job I could get and it was for a publishing company that put out trade magazines and what used to be called girly magazines. At the time, I didn't think anything of it. It was nothing like today's porn. I ended up leaving that job, learning some skills and leaving that job and never looking back. But, but what I did look back is that, oh my God, I had no idea. Meanwhile, people in my life were an outrage that I sometimes worked on these magazines because it's so normalized. But then normalized is a whole nother level now because these kids have, have supercomputers in their pocket that can show them pornography that is nothing like what I'm talking about years ago. And I wanted to share a quote from Gail Dines, the, the advocate that's trying to take on the porn industry. She says, this industry has hijacked the sexuality of an entire culture and is laying waste to a whole generation of boys. And when you lay waste to a whole generation of boys, you lay waste to a whole generation of girls. Yeah. When I when I hear that quote, I connected in my mind to you talking about how the trend lately is more and more and more young girls are c c coming out as so-called trans and taking and and agreeing to these horrific, horrific, brutal mutilations of their body. Well, and I have great respect for Gail Dines's work, um, and I I think the. Pornography is an enormous contributing factor to this trans medicalization scourge, and I'll tell you why. Is that it, it is unmistakably true to me that when girls are treated terribly, and they are in pornography, it's so degrading. The kind of I mean, I think all pornography is degrading, but yes. stuff that's out there today is especially bad, and it's violent. The, the choking. I, uh, I mentioned Abigail Schreier's book. I actually asked her about that when I interviewed her when I was reviewing her book. And she says it, it sends just a, such a damaging message to girls that, <laughs> that they're just these objects. And, you know, what girl wouldn't want to escape being objectified in such a degrading fashion? Who wants to be an object for consumption by a perverted male? And of course, I care about what's happening to boys and men, too. This is all a scourge. But those these girls, given the numbers, the the how this is disproportionately impacting girls, they want to escape this this horrific, you know, pornified culture, and this trans medicalization provides them that outlet to escape it. Mm -hmm. They think, you know, that somehow if they can become a man, they will escape the the male leering gaze. They will escape this kind of degradation that is all around them, uh, and yet they're only worse off because of how this medicalization just, this is not too strong a word, medically rapes their bodies. It just ruins their kidneys, their liver, their heart, their brain. I mean, it just it, their bones. It's just, it's sadistic what this does to them. But that's the kind of torment that so many of them are in. It's so excruciatingly painful to become a woman in the minds of some girls that they just want to escape it entirely. Uh. And pornography is a contributing factor. There's no doubt about it. Yes, again, extremely well put. It's like, I guess, I mean, it's kind of replaced sex education for so much of the young generation. Yeah. And if you are a young girl and you are watching these visceral images that that tell you this is the power dynamic. Yeah. Here are boys, here are the girls. Why wouldn't they want to become boys at some point, as you said, because that power dynamic is nightmarish oh, in general, yeah. but for these young girls. And, and I've done writing on this topic and, and you, and I know you have too, like you, you can look up stories of the physical damage happening to these young teenage, you know, young high school level girls of what's right. being done to their bodies and why they're forced into hospitals and so on, because the boys are imitating what they're watching. And then 
people aren't making that connection as you are though where what what's the what's the only step and what's the socially increasingly socially acceptable step for that girl oh i get it I'll just tell everybody I'm in the wrong body because it yep. sure feels like I'm in the wrong body because what's happening to me sucks, but they don't know what's about to happen to them is another level of, of torture. So I, I again, I, I so appreciate what what you do and people like you that put in the hard work. And I do want to offer listeners some sense of being involved in this and being participatory. Like what can people listen to this who are, I hope, just justifiably outraged? What, what would... What would you say to people who say, well, I didn't know about this. I just saw the flags and it's like, ah, oh, it's none of my business. Whatever an adult wants to do, they don't even know about the kids. How can they learn more? How can they help expose this and ultimately stop this insane agenda? Well, I think the first place to start is to get educated. And if you're listening to this, you have to understand that it is as bad as we're saying and probably much worse. And I've often wondered, you know, I've researched this to the nth degree, but it's probably so much worse than even I know what's going on in the shadows and in secret. I mean, you can walk into a gender clinic today and be put on these horrific drugs and undergo these terrible surgeries. But I just wouldn't I wouldn't put <laughs> I wouldn't put it past these people who are carving up young people to do anything. I mean, these are not scrupulous ethical professionals mm -hmm. at all. Um, you mentioned a moment ago that uh, article that I wrote called, Yes, Trans Surgeries Are Being Done on Minors, Here's Proof. I'll sort of start there because I think if anyone really doubts what I'm saying, you know, this is not right-wing misinformation as it has been said in a lot of the legacy press. That article came about um, because I was so infuriated watching the legacy press run interference for children's hospitals where they were exposed to doing these surgeries to minors. They had, in the case of Boston Children's Hospital, they had videos on their own YouTube channel saying that they do it. And so all people did was retweet them and say, look, hey, look here, <laughs> look, look at what they're doing. And then they got all mad because they didn't like that people saw that. And even though they were open with it um, and so they started calling it medical misinformation, right-wing bigotry, and there was a bomb threat called into Boston Children's Hospital. I think that's even happened again in recent days. And look, I condemn all of that, any sort of threat of violence, but you know, p children are being disfigured. And so then what happened was the Twitter account, Libs of TikTok, this is a long story, but I promise I'm getting to the point. Maybe. No, please continue. It's Libs of TikTok called Children's National Hospital in Washington, D.C. This was several weeks ago. I guess it would have been late August and asked them as their website had indicated if they do what they call gender affirming hysterectomies on 16 year olds. Their website had previously indicated that it did. And then after what broke loose with Boston, they updated their website, but not before Libs of TikTok had archived, had captured, taken screenshots where their website had said that they did. So she then released a phone call saying that, well, you know, actually, yes, we, we, we do do it. Two staffers at the hospital said that they do hysterectomies on 16 year olds. And then the media came out with this, inter they, they came out with, well, rather the hospital came out with a statement saying, no, we don't, that's not true. We don't do it in anybody under 18, even though she had the archived captures of their website, which said that they did. Washington Post, NPR, they just put out these sympathetic articles, totally running cover for the children's hospital that they had said that they did, they did these brutal surgeries on minors. Well, seeing the legacy press do that, I just got so enraged because I'd seen the literature. I'd seen the peer-reviewed medical journals 
where the gender clinicians themselves say that they do it to minors. Mm. And so I just collated a list of, I think, six or seven maybe that I had seen over the years, other evidence that I'd seen, other journalists, where I provided the citations, the data tables down to the page number, indisputably proving all the receipts that they do all kinds of these surgeries on minor children. They themselves admit it. So the legacy press may want to cover for all these children's hospitals and, you know, what's really driving them? Is it ideology or money? Probably both. But the literature indisputably shows that, yes, children as young as 15, 15 year old boys are having their genitals amputated and they're taking bowel tissue from their stomach lining and from their intestine to make a fake vagina. Girls as young as 13. And I've seen evidence of a 12 year old having their breasts cut off. I mean, hysterectomies are done. I, on a, obstetrics and gynecology article showed that they did it to a 16-year-old girl. It is indisputable that they are doing this to children. These surgeons are carving up the bodies of minors. So I am of the view that none of these surgeries are ethical to children or adults, but it is especially criminal to do it to someone who can't give consent legally, who, 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 who their cognitive capacity. We know that the brain science, your, your brain doesn't stop developing until I think age 25. They're mm -hmm. carving up children and it's unconscionable. The other resource that I would point people to is our podcast series that we did called Generation Indoctrination. At Christian Post, obviously it's under our masthead, but it's not a Bible-bangy, preachy podcast. We do have a few Christian contributors that talk about their faith, but we've got Democrats, Republicans, atheists. We've got a wide variety of experts, doctors, a bioethicist, a historian of gender, who all explain just how this came about and the various dimensions in which this ideology has impacted how we're even living our lives. So five episodes, approximately 30 minutes each, we're doing, I'm about to do a bonus episode that'll come out later. I don't know exactly when, but that podcast will really give everybody a thorough but succinct picture of what's going on. All right, I'm, I'm going to include um, in the show notes links for you, um, your articles at the Christian Post, your Twitter, but in particular that article that we both mentioned and to your pot, to that podcast series so that people can judge for themselves. And, and I, I, I share, I, I can understand your trepidation that we live in a culture now where labeling a website or a publication Christian post will get you prejudged, which is it's just ironic that the folks who who once at least claim to speak for free speech and open mindedness and questioning and inquiry uh, will shut down anything even based on the name of the publication. So I'm urging everyone listen, just wherever you stand on religion, it, 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 we're talking about you heard everything Brandon said. Just read the articles and then do your own homework. But we, when you have this information, I, I don't know how anyone who has this information can't be moved to just outrage and a desire to do something to help. And Don't take my word for it. Just read the receipts. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and I just want to come back to one interesting paradox where you mentioned how People were calling in bomb threats to the the hospital. That's that are uh, so. I'm assuming that's people who are against this agenda, threatening the hospital with bomb threats um, to to stop mutilating the kids. Presumably, and, we okay, don't know. we don't know for sure. And and yeah. the interesting thing is that that you said I don't support threats of violence, and I'm thinking, yeah. And meanwhile, the violence is happening inside to the children. Like yeah. it's yeah. It, someone may or may not have called up a 
threat. And as you said, we're not endorsing that. But what is happening is is documented and is all is being celebrated by the legacy media. Yeah. There's there's no mystery to it. The violence is happening, and and people in this woke agenda and and in the trans agenda will try and tell us that words are violence, and yeah. that if you, if if you if you talk to them or mis quote unquote misgender them as if that's humanly possible, um, you you you're committing violence. No, the violence is everything that Brandon just described on this, and everything he's described in his articles and podcasts and I and I urge people make up your own mind you don't have to trust the trans agenda you don't have to trust Brandon but get get another side because all you're getting from the mainstream is this is this embarrassing um, celebration of something that no one really understands because I think if you ask the average person who just says I'm open-minded and I don't care what consenting adults do they wouldn't know what what's the underside of this is and who the true victims are and you're out there doing that work and digging it up and for that we're all grateful for that and thank you for doing this I mean when you once you stare into this abyss and you see what's happening to children yeah I just have it and then you start to hear from some other families of these teenagers that go through this it's just I've 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 wept many many nights I've just I can see the faces of these parents who are just in excruciating agony as they are trying to keep their children from completely disintegrating right before their eyes and all the institutions are reinforcing their confusion with professional sounding lingo but it's all gaslighting and it's all just trash i mean i I get i mean the institutional capture is absolutely real that's not a conspiracy theory you'd be hard-pressed to find a single prominent institution that hasn't completely capitulated to this dogma to your point about bomb threats um uh yes i would uh, again i want to reiterate how much i oppose that that if that was from someone who opposes the transing of kids violence is not the answer am i completely do i completely believe that it was actually someone who from you know, from our side of the the equation here, who did it? No, or was that kind of a was that you know called in to sort of drive the narrative that right wingers are doing? Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. But obviously, I condemn any kind of violent, actual violent behavior toward those. But to your to your point, to your other point about the violence going on within the institutions at Boston Children's Hospital, and I mentioned that in this article that you're listing in the show notes. From 2017 to 2020, there were 65 minor girls that had their breasts cut off at that single surgery center at Boston. <sighs> minor girl, and that that's proven in the Journal of Clinical Medicine. I believe on page three, there's a data table that indisputably shows that. So that's, I mean, I will, I will, <laughs> like I said, I'll cite you down to the page number. It's right there. They have done this, and so if they want to call it misinformation. No, they're not. I'm going to hold up the mirror and show you where you have yourself admitted to have done it. And I also found it very interesting, uh, Mickey, because as some of us kept making noise, as the legacy press kept saying, oh, this is misinformation. This is this is you know facilitating a, 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 a campaign of terrifying threats against these doctors and medical providers who are just trying to take care of these troubled kids. CBS then, I think this is weeks after I came out with that article there documenting that list of examples where the gender clinicians have admitted to doing this. CBS put out an article citing this junk study from JAMA Pediatrics, which is the Journal of the American Medical Association, where they actually then started admitting that, okay, yeah, it actually is happening to minors as young as 13, breast amputations, mastectomies on minors, and it's a good thing. So they pivoted from denying that it's happening to minors to actually then celebrating it, saying, yeah, this is improving their mental health. 
they interviewed, I think, maybe 30 some, you know, girls who ages 13 to 24. That was listed there in the study in JAMA Pediatrics. That was the age range of the cohort they, they interviewed that breast surgery, getting their breasts cut off, improved their mental health. Well, they only interviewed them, I think, a few months after yep. uh, in their post-operative recovery, which if you ask any detransitioner, they'll tell you that the euphoria from their body disfigurement lasts a few months and the regret doesn't set in until much, much later. But no, this junk study from JAMA Pediatrics saying that this improves their mental health, that is used to then drive the narrative through the legacy press, CBS, for example, to promote this as this wonderful thing. It's uh. a disgrace. As the, what, what I'm most angry about, actually, the medical scandal and the medical malpractice is bad enough. The journalistic malpractice is just unconscionable. It's a betrayal. It's a yeah. betrayal of what journalism should be. And, yes. and it, oh, it's just infuriating. Well, the, New York Times, the, the New York Times just the other day um, finally started asking question about questions about blockers. Now, after years of carrying water for this stuff, they're finally starting to introduce some scrutiny. And parents I know have been begging the New York Times to start to listen to them. Left-wing parents, people who read the New York Times every day are just imploring the New York Times. They finally did it the other day. One of the reporters, Megan Tuhey, I think that's how you say her last name. She was, I believe, the reporter who wrote that bombshell article on Harvey Weinstein back yes. in 2017. So that's significant. And the fact that the New York Times has finally, after all these years, started to do it. But, you know, I'm not I'm not forgiving them. I'm a Christian and I'm supposed to forgive, but it's going to take me a while to forgive the New York Times. <laughs> well, they they got a lot of work to do. Yeah. yeah. So, right. whatever. Right, so I, I know we're running, we're running at, towards the end of time here. I wanted to just learn a little bit more about you before we wrap up, because I feel like there's going to be some inspiration in here. You have talked about how you decided to become a journalist and follow your dream while you were working as a janitor. And I just think that there's going to be an inspiration in there to people right now that anyone listening to this who is doing something to pay the bills, that that you could be an example of the, of someone who not only was able to shift into a different field, but excel to the level of here you are just rattling off this information and and over and over articles and podcasts and just basically kicking ass as a journalist. And and not that long ago, what six seven years ago, you were just thinking that's what I really want to do. How do I do that? So could you just give us a snapshot of of that transition to sort of inspire listeners? Well, yes, and I actually consider those custodial uh, janitor days to be some really good days. I, I think back fondly on those. I was working for pretty close to minimum wage in California at the time. I was, I was in school and just struggling and figuring out what I was going to do when I came back to D.C. And I was mopping floors and scrubbing toilets on one particular day in April of 2015, and I was just thinking, I've got some work lined up when I go back to DC, but I am really starting to struggle and just wondering what I could do. And on one particular day, I was just mopping the floor and I just thought, you know, I should write about what it's like to be a church janitor. I think people would be really interested in sort of the psychology of it and just what is it, what is it like, what do you learn about when you're, you know, <laughs> wiping, wiping urine off a porcelain throne and having to find yourself there's it's boring boring work but you have to find find ways to sort of keep your soul alive in the midst of the mundane kind of things and i just thought well, i'm going to write about this so i ended up writing an essay about 
what it's like being a church janitor. And I sent it to a friend and asked him to publish it on his blog. He did. It was really well received. And so I thought, well, I'll just try to write about something else. And it was a totally different theme, but I just kept doing that. And then I ended up being able to start my own blog as a result of the success that those, you know, those essays had garnered. And before I knew it, I was, I'm a part of alumni network and there was this reporting job at the Christian post and some of the writing samples that they wanted to see, I used from that previous blogging experience. Um, and the rest, they say it his, is history, but my, oh, my writing dream started as I was mopping floors and scrubbing that <laughs> I'm just going to write about what life was like. And, um, that's how it happened. And then I fell down this gender rabbit hole. And for, for those of you, for anybody who's listening, I just like, I think whether you're Christian or whether you're atheist, whether you're Jewish or agnostic or Republican or Democrat, liberal, conservative, I want to emphasize this. Medical scandals are newsworthy. Everyone should care about medical scandals. You know, you, they affect everyone and we should all have a sense of right and wrong and what is okay and what's not okay to do to the human body. I believe that the human body has inherent dignity and medicine should not be done in service to an ideology that disfigures and disrupts the fundamental integrity of the human body. I hope that in this fractured political time, that can be some common ground that we can establish. But if you're out there and you're wanting to, to do writing about that, I don't think there is enough, there are enough people who can scrutinize what's going on within the medical industry, certainly about this gender stuff, but even more broadly, because there are plenty of good doctors out there who want to just practice good medicine. But there's a lot of crime going on in the medical stuff. And so if you have a knack for justice, if you're passionate about those kind of things, we can we can use all the help we can get. Wow. Amen to that. And and as you were telling that janitor story, I, I'm, my, I'm making the connections in my mind of, of you have a, a tenacious, persistent personality, like to go to say like, all right, I'm going to write one article, then I'm going to write another, then I'm going to create a blog, then I'm going to answer ads. And that has served you well for that connecting the dots and getting doors slammed in your face, but finding the sideways entrance as a journalist to dig up this information that the media doesn't want us to see now. But who knows, maybe the New York Times and the other groups that are are starting to just let a little bit of light shine on this this horrible scandal. Maybe they're feeling the heat from journalists like you, who is like, no, no, we're not stopping. Oh, we're not backing no. down. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to believe you are. So last thing before I let you go, in your bio, it says, your favorite thing to do in life is sing. So I couldn't let you go without asking you. Just tell us a little bit about what music and singing means to you before we wrap up. Well, I think especially when you do work like this, you have to find something that gives you life. Um, I also like to cook and you know, food is a lot of fun. But I've always been a musician. I started playing the piano when I was a young kid. But singing, there's just something that sort of stirs my soul and I just come alive. Just, you know, there's that famous line in the movie Chariots of Fire, when I run, I feel his pleasure. Rick Randolph said that, like mm -hmm. the, the runner in that, that movie, when I run, I feel his pleasure. And when I sing, I feel God's pleasure. There's just something that just makes me come alive more like, more than anything. And I think when you can go to that place of beauty after you're staring, staring down some really grisly horrors, it really, really helps and makes everything survivable. <laughs> you know, you gotta, you have to have those make space for, um, you gotta make space for beauty in your life. It's how, um, uh, who was it that said beauty will save the world? Well, I believe that. And so to sing, that's how I, that's how I find solace. That's how I stay sane. 
it, uh, I just kind of come alive when I sing. So it really helps. <laughs> Thank you. I, I just have to believe that everyone listening is feeling inspired right now on multiple levels. So um, what a gift to be able to be the type of person that can can speak of, of their passions and journalism and writing and singing. And I am absolutely certain that speaking, you're speaking to those passions and living them out are inspiring others in, in ways that we have a ripple effect we may never even know. But so please just keep Keep doing what you're doing. Keep singing. Keep looking for beauty and and keep putting the, the, their feet to the fire of the people who have the audacity to think that they're going to get away with this, especially to children. So thank well, you said, so much, I, Brendan. I think the time, I really will say, on, to conclude on a very hopeful note, I genuinely believe that very soon, and I don't know the exact timetable, but I do believe that this is going to come crashing down, that this medical scandal will come to an end. I believe we're going to win. It's going to be brutal and there will be pieces to pick up. But England has just ordered the Tavistock Gender Clinic to close next year. European countries are backing away from this experimental medicalization and the treatment protocol that goes along with it. It's a bigger fight to have, I think, in the United States due to the influence of the pharmaceutical industry. But um, I'm going to continue to metaphorically hurl rocks at this Goliath and one of them's going to hit. And so there's a lot of a lot of really good journalists who are doing starting to do the same thing. So we're not giving up. We will be relentless. We will be persistent. But I think justice is going to come somehow and very soon. Bravo. Bravo to that. Brandon, thank you for being you, for all you do and for being here and sharing and making time to share your your your, uh, your, your passions with us. And I, I know it's making a huge difference. Thank you, Mickey. It's a pleasure. Okay. I'll be back with some closing thoughts after one more word from our sponsor. Hey, Mickey Z again. I trust you're enjoying this episode. And if so, I would really, really appreciate it if you would become a paid subscriber for just $5 a month less than 17 cents a day, you can support this Substack and this podcast. Your help is essential and it's crucial and it's you who keeps this project going and growing. So thank you for listening. Thank you in advance for becoming a paid subscriber and please spread the word. And while you're at it, please check the show notes for a link to a really kick-ass post-woke t-shirt. The sales have been going up People are out there showing off what their favorite podcast is, and now it's time for you to join the team. So once again, thank you in advance, and let's get back to the show. It's fascinating to witness this trust the science crowd become unpaid cheerleaders and lab rats for Big Pharma while openly denying the existence of biological sex. We live in a twisted twilight zone of cultish behavior where it has actually become necessary to remind people that males and females are two different sexes. Perhaps these ideologues could learn a thing or two from groups like the Taliban. Breaking news, the Taliban are not asking for preferred pronouns when imposing Sharia law. They're not concerned with anyone's identity when they pronounce that women must wear a burqa and can only leave their homes with signed permission from a man. They are not wondering what sex a young girl feels like when they deprive them of education and or force them into sexual slavery. 
wokeness is impotent in the face of true patriarchal dominance. It is also impotent in the face of female infanticide. In the year 2016, the Asian Center for Human Rights published the first ever global study on female infanticide. Since the 1990s, at least 200 million girls have gone missing due to sex-selective abortions. This is higher than the cumulative deaths caused by war and conflict in the entire previous century. In the meantime, and as a result, some parts of the world have experienced at least 25% more male births than female births. It's been called a secret genocide. Some estimate that each year, the number of girls killed at birth in India and China is higher than the total number, number of girls born in the U.S. Think about it. The three deadliest words in the world just might be, it's a girl. But while females are specifically targeted for atrocities across the globe, from threats like the Taliban, infanticide, and too many others to name, privileged, entitled Westerners will try to cancel you over identity and feelings. You say you want to help women? Well, step number one is to stop erasing their existence. Stop scrubbing words like breastfeeding and mother from our shared language. Refuse to surrender to the madness of enforced replacement terms like vulva havers. Now, so-called non-binary folks deserve rights and protection, but not at the expense of others. Especially, never elevate the rights of any group above the rights of the largest and most oppressed population on Earth women and girls. Each of us as individuals may lack the power to stop Sharia law, infanticide, and other large-scale sex-targeted oppressions, but we are responsible for our day-to-day -day personal behaviors and actions. We can refuse to participate in the gaslighting of an entire population. Making such common sense and compassionate choices is not bigotry. In fact, you might even call it social justice. And on that note, I want to say thank you to my guest, Brandon Showalter, and encourage all of you to check out the links I've included in the show notes to catch up with his work, learn from it, and share it widely. I appreciate your support, your subscribing, your sharing of the links, and also, as always, I appreciate you keeping your guard up.